Heavenly Father, quicken our minds with the Holy Spirit that we may be convicted to such an extent that we may comprehend one of the greatest sins that is among God's people today and among some of our leaders, that we may know how to live the truth. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the meaning of this word, expediency? From Webster's Dictionary, we find that it defines this word as conducive to a special advantage rather than what is universally right. Let me repeat that. Webster tells us that expediency is conducive to a special advantage rather than what is universally right. Now, I am sure that every Seventh-day Adventist knows within his heart that the Ten Commandments are universally right. There's no question about it. They are so right that the Scripture of God calls them perfect. In fact, the Ten Commandments are so right that they are equal to God himself. In the Scripture, we find that every attribute given to God is given to his law. Notice as I read these texts and these words, God is holy. In Romans seven twelve, it says, the law is holy. God is perfect. In Psalms 19, 7, it says, the law is perfect. God is just. Romans seven twelve, the law is just. God is pure. Psalms 19, 8, the commandment is pure. God is forever. Psalms 111, verse 8. His commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever. I like what Ellen White wrote in the story of redemption. She said, God exalted them equal to himself. And in the Bible Commentary 1, page 1104, the holy precepts spoken by Christ upon Sinai's mount were a revelation of the character of God. Soon, very soon, there is going to come to every one of us a universal test to every man, woman, and child in which we shall each find it very expedient to break God's law in order that we might save our property or have something to feed our families or to keep from going to jail or to save our very life from a universal death decree. So, let us study this morning the example of a man in Scripture who developed a lifestyle of expediency rather than to do what he knew 
to be right. This brings us to our morning text in which it talks about the high priest who was alive during the trial of Christ. It is found in John 11, verse 49 and 50. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish now. Now this morning, in order to make this subject come to life and so you can just feel its reality, so that somehow you may catch the lesson that God would have for us, I have chosen to personally assume the character of Caiaphas in this following presentation. As we begin, remember, I am speaking as Joseph Caiaphas, who was once the high priest in the temple of Jerusalem. God intended that the office that I held was to be the highest and the holiest in his church. You will recall that Aaron, the brother of Moses, who was the very first high priest, had embroidered in golden letters upon his headdress the words, Holiness unto the Lord. And these same words were embroidered upon my meter, which I wore when performing my official duties, such as when I entered the Most Holy in the sanctuary to offer atonement for the sins of the people. Now I realize that it was my sins that needed an atonement, for which I had made no personal provision. You see, I served as the high priest from A.D. 18 to A.D. 36. During this time, I presided over the Jewish council in which Jesus stood before me. It was I who said, as you read in Matthew 26, 63, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Never, never will I forget his answer. Jesus said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. When I heard those words, I rent my clothes and called the council to immediately pass a sentence, for I declared, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need we have of a witness? Behold, now we have heard this blasphemy. What think ye? And they answered, He is guilty of death. It was I who allowed them to spit upon his face and to smite him with their hands. And all this took place at night, which by God's law 
made the trial illegal. But then, I was not concerned with the legality of God's instructions. I was only interested in expediency so that I might accomplish my purpose. But I did have respect for one law, the Roman law, for they were our rulers, and they strictly forbade us to pass a death sentence. So that is why I turned Jesus over to Pilate with the urgent request that Jesus be crucified. But in the light of the New Testament, this was a terrible sin. In fact, my sin was blacker than that of Judas. You see, he was only a tool in my hand. It was I who paid him 30 pieces of silver. How I laughed when he brought the money back to me and flung it at my feet and cried, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. Somehow, I can still see him pressing through the startling throng, startled throng. His face was pale, as white as a sheet. It was haggard. Great drops of sweat were standing on his forehead. There he was, grasping my robe and crying aloud, He is innocent. Spare him, O Caiaphas. There was no question. The plot was mine. Judas was but a minor actor in my plot, worth just what I paid him, the price of a slave. My sin was even blacker than that of Pontius Pilate. How well I remember Christ's words as he spoke to Pilate in John 19:11, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath a greater sin. I was not surprised that Pilate could find no fault in Jesus. You see, in his heart, he wanted to set Jesus free, but he did not have the courage to do so, and I was determined that he should die for expediency. This was my only purpose in delivering Christ to Pilate. Pilate, like Judas, was a tool in my hand. I despised Pilate just as I despised Judas. As I watched P Pilate wash his hands and order Christ's crucifixion, I knew my plans to attain expediency were quite justifiable, that is, as I thought then. For in the gospel story of John, he clearly tells of my reasoning. Listen, John eleven forty seven. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees in a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. This council took place just before Jesus had raised Lazarus to life. The Pharisees felt that if we did not stop Jesus, 
that an insurrection would follow against Rome. As you know, we worked hand in glove with Rome. By so doing, we were allowed to continue the temple ritual, which brought us huge amount of graft. This brought us, as leaders, much, much wealth. It was for reasons of personal enrichment that I stated, as you find in John 11:50, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and the whole nation perish not. Could it be, just could it be, that in this end time that there are some leaders today that find it expedient to dampen the message and the truth for the same reasons? Expedient. Just leave it to me. You see, Jesus could be used to establish a better relationship with Rome. By handing him over to Rome as a revolutionist and also getting rid of a troublesome person. It was really like killing two birds with one stone. And the cost? Only 30 pieces of silver. Not a bad bargain from the viewpoint of expediency. In fact, I was quite accomplished at this art. For eight years, I was the high priest before Pilate reigned. But my appointment to the high priest was no longer an appointment by God. My position had become a political football. In order to maintain my position, I had to practice expediency in every matter. Actually, there was really no hurry to move against Christ because one must often wait for a favorable opportunity if one is to gain money by means of expediency. But little did I realize that Christ would dare to take the offensive and even challenge my authority. You see, it was at the beginning of the Passover week, the most profitable time for our bazaars. All who attended had to pay a temple tax. And in addition, our money changers charged 20% for the exchange of their money into the temple currency. Then our temple traders sold the animals, which we required for the offerings. You'd be surprised how we fool the people. Sometimes we sold those same animals over and over and over. Why, it was such a racket that I personally paid the Roman government as much as a million dollars in one year to keep my position. So naturally, expediency became the principle of my life. But the day that Jesus walked into the temple, he knew what was taking place. Through the prophets of old, he had pleaded, listen, as you read 1 Samuel 15, 22, half the Lord 
a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And then again he spoke through Isaiah, the first chapter. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the Lord our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offering of rams, the fat of fed beasts. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. And when you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doing before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. I can see him now. I shall never forget Christ's piercing eyes as they swept over that desecrated temple. Every eye was turned toward him. Divinity flashed through his humanity, investing him with a dignity and a glory that had never before been manifested in his behavior. Every soul was hushed. The silence was unbearable. And then, in kingly manner, he commanded, Take these things hence. In Matthew 21, 13, he continued, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. No one, no one dared to question his authority. Priests, traitors, yes, even I. We all fled. Can you imagine our consternation? Here he walks into our stronghold and openly challenges us, driving out our merchants and calling us a den of robbers. The very nerve of him. But there was too much truth in his words. We dare not make a move against him for his following was too great. We had to try some crafty plan to arrest him. Maybe. Maybe we could trick him in his speech. So we asked him the following question. Is it lawful to pay tribute to the Romans? You see, we stood to gain no matter how he answered. If he answered yes, the people would be enraged, and we prayed for such an answer. If he answered no, we could report him to the Romans that he was starting a revolt. Imagine, imagine our surprise when he called for a coin, as you read in Matthew 22, verse 20. And he said, whose is this image? and superscription. And they said unto him, Caesar's. 
Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Somehow he was just too quick for us. There was only one course left to take. We had to manufacture a trumped-up charge that we could place before Pilate. You know the story. The bargain of 30 pieces of silver, the midnight arrest, the trial in the early morning hours. The whole thing was illegal. Hebrew law forbid a trial by night. And it also provided that no prisoner could be forced to testify against himself. Someone today among the leaders, such as the lawyers of our day, have discovered that there were 43 specific violations of God's law in Christ's trial. Think of it. But so what? I've already confessed that my every action was governed by expediency, principles of legality, of truth, of right, were all secondary. And I succeeded too, didn't I? Expediency. It's such a wonderful policy. Have you ever found it expedient to cheat in an examination paper? Expedient to exaggerate the quality of the product you sell? Expedient to cut the corner in a shady business deal? Expedient to tell a white lie and extract yourself from an embarrassing situation? Expedient to train your sales to the wind of popularity instead of steering a straight course to the compass of God's conscience? Expedient to give grudgedly rather than with a heart's devotion? Expedient to propose to postpone week after week, possibly year after year, your personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ? And do you really think that you can govern your actions by expediency and somehow not face the final test when the mark of the beast is enforced by a death penalty? Do I see a startled look in your eye? Am I Caiaphas, a man that is apart from you? Are you born bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh? Haven't we all tried expediency at some time or the other? Again, what is the meaning of the word expedient? The subordination of a moral principle for the sake of attaining a desired end. 
honestly now. What did I get out of it? What did you get out of it? I'll tell you what it got me. How well I remember the conviction of my heart as Jesus stood before me. I knew without a doubt that he was akin to God. He seemed to read my very thoughts. I could feel his holy influence as he stood before me. But I deliberately banished such thoughts. You see, it's so easy to harden one's heart, especially after years of practice. All you have to do is turn from your conscience day by day. This is why I was able to resist God in that supreme moment. How else could you account for it? There I stood. Jesus standing before me. Answers thou nothing I demanded? But Jesus held his peace. If I had not closed my heart, the Holy Spirit would have brought to my mind the scripture of Isaiah 53. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted. Yet, he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Instead of listening to God, I lifted my hand to heaven, and in a solemn oath I demanded, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Slowly, Definitely, Jesus answered, Thou hast said. A heavenly light illuminated his pale countenance. Divinity flashed through the, his guise of humanity. That look, it burned into my soul. Never in all the days that I lived afterward have I ever been able to forget it. His searching glance penetrated the depth of my soul. Yet, for expediency, I deliberately refused God's last call to my soul. Oh, my dear one, are you deliberately turning from God's pleadings? Has God spoken to you this past week? Are you persisting in closing your ears to his call? I, too, permitted the devil to blind my eyes. This is why I paid no attention to his illuminating answer when he said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. What really bothers me the most is the realization that the table is to be reversed. The court scene on which I sat as the judge, he will be the judge. 
the Lord of glory, seated on God's throne, and there will be no appeal from his decision. Every secret thing will be brought to light. Oh, God, why? Why was I so stupid? Why didn't I pay attention to his appeal of gracious love? Now, I must stand alone before God's judgment bar. What a fool I am. For I am the man who must die three times. Once at the end. And then again, when Jesus comes the second time in all of his glory, I will be resurrected in that special resurrection only to die the second time. For John declares... In Revelations 1, 7, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him and they also which pierced him. And let me tell you something. I was the one who planned his crucifixion. I was the one who fostered and carried out every purpose. Truly, it was I who pierced his side. And soon... I shall meet him again. As it reads in Revelation 6.15, the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captain and the mighty men and every bondsman and every free man hid themselves in the den and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? But that is not all. For the third time, I must raise from the dead to stand with the lost, this time with the devil outside the new Jerusalem, and hear God's final judgment against me. And this time, the history of my expediency will be portrayed in the sky for all the world to see on God's great television screen in the heavens. The world will watch as I condemned the sinless Jesus. And then, yes, I must tell you, I shall burn alive in that fire prepared for the devil and his angels, destroyed in hell. What an end! I can see it just as John described it, Revelations 20:11. I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. Oh, it didn't matter then in the judgment hall of Caiaphas, but it surely matters now as to how I condemned Christ to death. For you see, and isn't it amazing, Christ took my very place and has become God's high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. Paul wrote about it in Hebrews 7, 26, for such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, 
undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as though high priest to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's? For this he did once, when he offered himself. Really, these are words of encouragement and hope to you, because he is there today, ready to answer your prayers in the sanctuary above ready to forgive you. Strange. Strange I should be saying this. But when I was the high priest in name only, I never tried to save anybody else. I didn't even bother about saving my own soul. You see, expediency was all I cared about while I was alive. But now, for the naked truth, Expediency does not work when you are faced with hell. It's no longer a working principle. It is of this that I have come today to warn you, lest you make the same mistake and follow me and the devil and his angels. Please, don't follow in my footsteps. When passion and conviction overwhelmed me, I became furious, so much so that I rent my priestly robes. But alas, in doing this, I condemned myself, for by God's Levitical law, I had disqualified myself for the priesthood, and by my act, I pronounced the death sentence upon my very self. Listen to me. To resist God's pleadings, to fight that still, small voice, to deliberately close the door of your conscience, to pretend to accept the false against the truth. To do so, you are pronouncing your own death sentence. Friend, at this very moment, Jesus is standing before you just as surely as he stood before me in Caiaphas Hall. Heed his pleading today. Listen to his call. Follow carefully his admonitions as he speaks to you through the prophets of old, as in Joel, the second chapter. Therefore, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of evil. Let us pray to this God. O oh, Heavenly Father, how many times we have been guilty 
guilty of this sin of expediency. Forgive us. Wash our hearts today. Renew within us a right spirit. Help us to take hold of the keeping power of God that will make us so strong that we will be not afraid to stand for the truth of the heaven's fall. Help us, God, to be faithful. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name.